Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Hey guys, do you have your mock draft yet? 1.0, 2.0, mock draft 3.0, it's mock draft season. It's here. Just drink it in. There's no stopping it, there's no resisting it. You might as well just lay back and accept it because it's here. And you might be surprised how I feel about it. Not be surprised about this though. I'm really down right now. We had a, a loss yesterday, a significant one in the world of professional wrestling. Someone who meant a lot to me and maybe to you growing up. Kind of a different type of wrestler. And I'm going to look back on it. And you guys had incredible, incredible tweets that I'm hearing you sent to the show in response to this passing. The, the wrestlers don't last long. But this guy actually did. And I respect him. Also, uh, one of the all-time funniest sports quotes. And it comes from the White House. Politics in the basement. Not really. It's about basketball and it's about really, really a bad idea that just taps into a certain sensitivity out there in the world as we need more of that. We're going to get into that as part of what's hilarious. Plus, we have a great bite fight. A three entrant fight. And on his bite fight, we'll change, exchange blows, we'll go off the top rope, and we'll have one winner right after this. And we'll have what I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. Come on now, start the show. Bam! I'm gonna just put my cards on the table. And let you know how I feel. I love mock draft season. I love it. We're here. It's upon us. I heard the draft is in 20 something days and those mock drafts are coming fast, fresh, furious. I used to not be able to stand mock drafts. I would understand the point of someone sitting down and writing down 32 names and putting it online and saying, here you go. Some of them were not well sourced. Some of them seem, appeared to just be ad-libbed. Some of them accept them. They're great. They are like, they're, they're the sugar of draft season. They're the fruity pebbles. They're the cookies. In a lot of ways, they're like fortune cookies. It's fun. It's interesting. You read what it says and maybe you take it to heart and maybe you really believe it in your heart and it comes from a, a credible restaurant that you've followed for years and gone to, but you don't base your life around it. I would hope, you know, it's a little also like the mock drafts are like the Zodiac. What's your sign? Oh, really? Who's your team? I'm a Capricorn. Oh, well, I'm a Panthers fan. Really? Well, Capricorn, you know, you like this type of thing in your life. And if you're a Panthers fan, they're going to take CJ Stroud. Oh, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Is it depending on where the planets are aligned? It's an interesting thing, which some people allow to control their lives and dictate who they date and who they spend time with. And other people just kind of read it in the newspaper or online, whatever app they have, and say, oh, that's kind of interesting. I'll look up my sign. Same thing with the mock drafts. I know a lot of these guys and these girls who make these and publish these. I work with some of them. Some of them are very dear to me. And uh, I enjoy the mock drafts. I enjoy the mock drafts in much the same way that if you follow football all the time and you care about the draft a lot, and if you're a fan, you do. It's just part of what we do, guys. We do power rankings during the season. We're going to do letter grades after the draft and we're going to do mock drafts before the draft you don't want to wait you don't want to wait at all so you get the mock one from anybody from daniel jeremiah to peter schrager to lance zerline and they're all over the map and it's such a funny thing to me because uh these experts have all different means some of them look at all the film and they just say based on what i'm seeing here this is my one through 32 and press click and there it goes out to the internet some of them 
they go at it from a perspective of, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I, I'm around the college game all the time, and I know these players, and I have a lot of connections to the NFL, but my, my knowledge is rooted in the college game, and I know all of these prospects, and here's my one through 32, click. And then some of them just don't really watch any film and are not necessarily rooted in the college game, but they got sources, and they're talking to GMs and coaches, and that's the whole different deal. So there's different species about it. But what's so fascinating to me about mock drafts is they're really interesting content, and they're sitting there, and they're, they're basically giving you 32 takes in one small little fast food package. It's a very efficient way of delivering content. And yet, they're not right. <laughs> they're never right. They're very, very small hit percentage. But in the weeks leading up to the NFL draft, which is off-season NFL prom, which makes it sports prom, which makes it really America's prom, they dictate every segment. They dictate every conversation. They are taken almost as scripture about, oh my gosh, look at this mock. What? How do you have him falling out of the top 10? You've got who at number two? And people tweet and people really react like that team is really going to draft that player. So you look at them for weeks and weeks and weeks and you chew on them and you debate them and you insult them and you praise them and you do all these things with these pieces of paper essentially with 32 names and 32 teams and you do it for weeks and that is your lifeblood, the mock drafts. And then like I said, it's, well now it's mock draft 3.0. I've made some changes and I've been on the phone or I've been watching tape and now it's my 4.0. You've made four mock drafts in the last three weeks? What changed? Nobody got hurt. No one, no one threw more passes. Like, would you change it all? Yeah, I've been thinking about it. I've been on the phone. Have you? Or do you just want a new rehash and new clicks and a new column to write? Fine. So they all, that all happens. Then the draft comes, and the picks start coming off, and it's never how you expect. And ding, 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 ding. And then the second the draft is over, there's no accountability at all for the mock drafters. None. It's not as if you have to come and face the music the next day about, listen, hand up, I thought such and such was going to be there uh, with the fourth pick for this team. And, you know, I had no idea. They fell out of the top 15. I thought, this is, a, I said right here, number 12, lock it up, and my mock draft fell out of the first round. There's, none of, there's no facing the music at all. It's just this candy that they work on and they think about and they throw it onto the internet and then it's just over. It's over. I like reading them. I do. I really like reading them. I tweet them. I do segments about them. But it's such an interesting thing that it's a little bit like the fantasy analysts. Like the fantasy analysts who will go on TV or go on Twitter and say, Got it. Start him or sit him. You must start TJ Hawkinson this week. Lock it up. He's looking for big points against the such and such, the Seahawks. Watch. I expect... 6.5 catches for 103 yards and two touchdowns. Hawkinson plays a game, he has one catch for seven yards and a fumble. <laughs> and there's no like, yeah, I really blew that. And then the next week you listen to them again. It's just a cycle. So all these mock drafters, again, people who I consider brethren and, and kin and colleagues, they just churn these things out. No one cares if they're right, if they're even remotely close to right. And next year we're looking at them again. It's also interesting to pair them against each other. Let's just look at some of the big dogs here, all right? And let's look who they have the number one pick. These are all people who put their, their blood, sweat, and tears into their mocks. Daniel Jeremiah's got the Panthers taking Bryce Young. Bucky Brooks has them taking C.J. Stroud. Lance Zerline, Bryce Young. Todd McShay, C.J. Stroud. Mike Tannenbaum, Bryce Young. Ben Standing, C.J. Stroud. Just bing, bang, bing, back and forth. 
back and forth. Ben Standig, the last guy I mentioned there, is a legit journalist in the game for years, um, worked right for The Athletic. Do you know that he had the highest hit rate last year in terms of, wow, you really stuck that pick. You had this player going to this team. You had Kenny Pickett going to the Steelers, whatever. Guess what his hit rate was out of 32? And this is the highest rate. They calculate these a little bit. There's a website that does it. 10 out of 32 picks he hit. That is a 312 batting average. So it's kind of like baseball. If you hit 312, you're an all-star. He won it with a 10 out of 32. You would think if you know so much and you work so hard and you have so many contacts, you would be able to get, I don't know, 24 out of 32? Not even close. 10. And he's the guy standing as the GOAT, apparently, at this point, because he is apparently a three-time NFL mock draft champ. The Huddle Report, it grades mock drafts after the fact. They do the work. Those good people at the Huddle Report go back and say, hold on, hold on. We're all caught up in who they drafted and we're moving on to them holding up the jersey and how do they fit in with the offense. Let's just take a hot second to see all these mock drafts that we've been looking at for weeks. Did anybody have anything in your remotely right? Anything. They take a second and they do the math. Apparently, Standig, he goes for a 312 batting average last year and he's won it three times. Three times out of 158 competitors. There's 158 mock drafts they judge. I think there's more mock drafts than there are podcasts. I didn't think that was possible. Imagine the 158th mock draft on that. Who are they? What is their expertise? Can anybody do a mock draft and just put it out there and be like, this is how I see it. Why do you see it that way? I don't know. I just, this is how I feel. It's an, it's an incredible thing. It's like having a mock draft is like having an NCAA tournament bracket. That's why you got to stay to the big dogs, in my opinion. My favorite one is still my guy, Peter Schrager, because Peter Schrager comes out every year, does a mock draft. He goes, I don't watch any tape. I don't do any dark room. I don't watch the film. I don't care about the film. I'm not doing it based on that. I am on my phone talking to GMs, owners, coaches, and I'm using that as input to fill my thing. Not, well, I really like how, he's, how he plays against the run. He's got loose hips, so I think the, the Steelers are going to take this linebacker. None of that. He's like, I don't care about their pad level. I don't care about how their hips are high coming out of the hip, the rotations or the, the routes. I'm on my phone. I'm asking people. So I like Peters. But in the end, I like mock draft season. I'm in. We may do a Kyle Brandt's basement mock draft. I may just do it. If there's 158, I'll be 159. And I will be prepared to hit against anybody else. I will have a hit rate. I'm not saying I'm going to be the champ. But if the champ, again, 10 out of 32 hits... I mean, that's a champ. I could probably hit seven out of 32, right? Just look at the names, look at the teams, think about what they need, think about the kind of player they like to draft. You know the league. I may do a mock draft this year. I like mock draft season so much, I'm going to join. Fortune cookies, I love them too. Uh, that's what I love, literally. Now let's get to what I hate. This one is a heavy heart for me. Pro wrestler Bob Miller has passed away. Bob Miller was one of the Bushwhackers, guys. He was Butch in the Bushwhackers. There's the two of them. It's Bush, Butch and Luke back in the heyday, and they would come with their gray camouflage pants and their deep plunging string tank tops, and they were one of a kind. And the wrestlers usually pass away very young due to what they've done to their bodies and how they've lived their life and the toll they've taken. And it sucks, and it always is a buzzkill. You see them trending, you're like, oh, who died? This one is especially hard for me because the Bushwhackers were sweethearts, and they represent something totally different in their era and any era. 
And I was trying to think about how to explain this to someone who was a young person who was like, who are these two imbeciles? That's exactly right. Imbeciles, deliberately so. Funny, um, <laughs> secure, absurd, ludicrous. They lived in this era and wrestled in this era where there were guys called the Warlord and they had giant muscles and they were just trying to be all so intimidating. And they would come out. See what they're doing right here? Let's go to the sky cam. The Bushwhackers whole thing was they would just go like this. They walked like this. And I'm not an expert in the Bushwhackers. I really am not. I don't know why they did this. I don't know what the hell this means. I don't know if it comes from their native New Zealand, but they would enter the ring like this. Never seen anybody walk like that. Don't know what it means. And if you thought that was the only gimmick, they would eat sardines and they would lick people's heads and faces. Lick, I said. They'd do it to each other. They would do it to their opponents in the ring and they would hold them against the turnbuckles and lick them. They would even lick fans. And you know, they'd come out, then they said, it's the Bushwhackers and they'd come out down the aisle and they would stop and there'd be these adoring fans and they would just lick them. Now they would get you arrested and sued and all that. The Bushwhackers just did it and it kind of worked. It was fun. They are, um, again, it's Butch and Luke. And they, like a lot of those guys in that era, they would go back decades. It started as far back as the 60s and they were in these smaller companies, originally in NWA in New Zealand and they started moving around, came to Canada, wrestled as the Kiwis. Um, they left Stampede Wrestling in Canada in 1975. They went back to New Zealand, then Japan, then back to the United States, to Oregon, where they was known as the New Zealand Sheep Herders, and they feuded way back before they blew up like this with Rick the Model Martell and Roddy Piper. Those are legends. Um, finally arrived WWF, as it was known, 1988, became the Bushwhackers. I watched a lot of their matches. I can't remember them ever winning one. <laughs> their finishing move, they take their own teammate under the, under, the, under the head, like a headlock, and their head was hitting out here and their body was there. And they would use their teammate's head as a battering ram and bang right into whoever it was from Demolition or the Rockers. It clearly would hurt your teammate more than it would hurt the person hitting it. They didn't care. It's ridiculous. And I just, it was one of those things where if you go to the Royal Rumble or if you went to the main, if you went to the main card and you watched it, there was, they were never your favorites. You weren't there to see the Bushwhackers. You were there to see the Ultimate Warrior or Hogan or Macho, whoever it may be. But when the Bushwhackers came out, you'd be like, oh, hell yeah, the Bushwhackers. These guys are great. They totally commit to their shtick. They're not embarrassed in any way. They knew they were ridiculous and did not try to cover it up. Very secure. They were, I mean, they were too, it's kind of like trying to put like, it's, they were like, um, imagine if Larry the Cable Guy was a wrestler. Kind of like that, except Larry the Cable Guy is American, these guys, you know, from New Zealand. Or like if you go back even further, Ernest P. Worrell, Jim Varney, the, the Ernest goes to camp, it was like Ernest goes to the wrestling ring. Just, they're just like, hey, I'm ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm not trying to hide it. I've got no cool speech, I've got no cool move, and I just love them. And to me, the greatest, not the greatest, I almost got caught up. The funniest moment in wrestling history, the funniest moment ever, more than the Shockmaster and more than a million different things, was uh, Luke, who thankfully is still with us. Butch is the one who passed away. Luke set a record for shortest time in the ring during Royal Rumble, it was four seconds. And he walked into the ring, I'll do it like this. And so, you know, they, they count down on Royal Rumble. There's already a bunch of guys in the ring, and there's some heavy hitters in the ring. Hogan is in there, Earthquake is in there, uh, Hercules is in there. 
and they count down, you know, and they go to the curtain that they always do in Royal Rumble. And who's it going to be? Is it going to be uh, The Undertaker? Is it going to be Macho? Is it gonna, who knows? Mr. Perfect. No idea who it's going to be. And it's the curtain opens and, and out walks ridiculous Luke. And Gorilla Monsoon goes, oh, it's the other one of the Bushwhackers. It's Luke. And so he comes in, he works his way in, and all the wrestlers are beating on each other. And the second he gets in there, he gets in the ring, and the earthquake comes right over and takes him, you know, by the scruff of the neck. He gets in, earthquake grabs him, and he just goes right out the other side. And the funniest part is that when he goes out the other side, the second he hits the ground, he's, he's up right back into this. Doesn't even break stride a single second. Ask any wrestling fan, it is the funniest moment in wrestling history. I said this earlier, the two funniest moments in sports or sport entertainment history of my lifetime, in my opinion, was, oh my God, uh, what was I going to say? It was the late Sean Taylor hitting Brian Mormon, and it is Butchwacker Luke setting the record for shortest uh, stretch in WrestleMania, or in Royal Rumble ever. Sean Taylor, Luke the, Butchwa Luke the Bushwhacker. Uh, I'm out of breath from doing that. It's actually really exhausting. So I asked the question to you. Someone watching this right now who's like 24, they're like, this guy's look like idiots. That's the point, yes. How would you explain it to them? Like, why were the Bushwhackers cool in an era where there's so many wrestlers who were just conventionally cool, like my guy or my guy? So you came in and you tweeted, how do you explain why the Bushwhackers are great? And this loss is a really sad one. John Finkel, we all love them because anybody could be a Bushwhacker, he says. You just had to do the arm thing, make crazy faces and have fun. John, that's it. Just do the arm thing and make crazy face. Who cares if you win the match? It's not what it's about. Next, why were the Bushwhackers really cool? Matt Falk says, Luke holds the record for shortest stint in a Royal Rumble with a total of four seconds in 1991. I was just talking about it. And it was the best damn four seconds of Royal Rumble history. It is. There's been some guys who have gone from first all the way and won the entire thing. I think Ric Flair did it back in the day and that's looked at this great accomplishment. No, it was the four seconds that Luke was in the ring before Earthquake threw him out. Next, why were the Bushwhackers great? Why is this a tough loss? Ah, Aaron Ginsberg, very famous producer in LA. He says, evergreen content. Pretty sure the Bushwhacker was in the back. <laughs> He's talking about the Royal Rumble. Pretty sure Bushwhacker was in the back and said, listen, Quake, I just don't have it today. Neighbor's dog was barking all night and car didn't start. How about I come out do my weird dance walk, you gently toss me out and I weird dance walk back. Deal? That's a great idea. Because the earthquake does gently throw him out. I don't know the backstory of that. Was maybe he was injured? Or did they just think it would be funny? What was the idea there? Earthquake just takes him ever so gently and says goodbye and he hits the dance walk thing again. Next, Aaron Ginsburg, great tweet. Brian Coe, he says, you don't go to the circus to see the clowns. He says, you don't go to the circus to see the clowns. But the clowns who do a great job are still an enjoyable and important part of the circus. Brian, that's a beautiful sentiment. I think you're absolutely right. You go to the circus to see the elephants and the trapeze and the, the high rope walkers. And those were all in the ring at the time. But it's not that like you like the clowns or they're your favorite, but it's not a circus without the clowns. And you kind of respect the clowns who are really selling it. That's, that's a great idea. You don't go to the... the Professional wrestling is a circus. They were the clowns in it. And you know what? You got to like the clowns in their own way. Mike says, these guys licked my... <laughs> these guys licked my aunt's head at a bar in Utica, New York after a house show in 1990, 1988. Mike, I believe it. 
house show, Utica, 1988, licked your aunt's head. And your aunt probably loved it. I'm telling you, it would be an honor. It would be an absolute honor. Uh, anything else? These are great, great tweets. Bunky Perkins says about the Bushwhackers. <laughs> you know that one uncle you have? Yeah, uh, imagine he has a brother and they're wrestlers. Bunky, 10 out of 10 tweet. Those are your uncles. Those are your uncles at Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, next, let's wrap it up. This can't be the Bushwhackers show, but really, I, I, my heart goes out. It goes out to the whole Bushwhackers community. This is perfect, too. John says, imagine if you cloned Hacksaw Jim Duggan twice, but instead of wielding a 2x4, <laughs> you gave them inexplicable rotator cuff flexibility. Ho! That's so great. So good. John, great job. Uh, one more. DJ and KC. We ask, why did everyone love the Bushwhackers? He says, what's not to love? They ate sardines, then licked your face, and got everyone in the audience and at home doing their goofy dance. Just fun every time they came out. R.I.P. DJ, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, we have lost Bob Miller, who was a Bushwhacker, Bushwhacker Butch, and uh, goes out, heart goes out to Luke, who apparently is still doing bookings, still getting in the ring, still signing, doing everything, and I, I hope he is doing this for a lot longer, but uh, Butch, wherever you are, you're, you're doing the, the arm dance, and you're licking heads and eating sardines in that ring up in the sky. You missed, you're missed, and you are respected. Bushwhackers, heart goes out to you. Let's get to something wildly different in what's hilarious. Hey, spring is in the air, and that can only mean one thing, spring grilling. The steak experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to spring into something delicious with their semi-annual sale. With 50% off site-wide, grab all your favorites, like perfectly aged tender steaks, ocean-fresh seafood, juicy burgers, incredible air-chilled chicken, and decadent desserts, yeah! Plus, when you go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code BASEMENT at checkout, you'll receive an additional $30 off your order. It's the perfect way to get fired up and spring into something special. Don't wait! Go to omahasteaks.com, use promo code BASEMENT at checkout, and take advantage of this deal. Do it! Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away, and you're going to want to hurry because 50% off site-wide is only happening for a limited time. You feel me? Don't miss your chance to save. Visit omahasteaks.com. Use code BASEMENT at checkout and get an additional $30 off when you shop their semi-annual sale today. Minimum order may be required. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I can't help but laugh about the quote that has come from the first lady of the United States about women's basketball. I laugh because of the quote itself and because of the reaction to the quote and the timing of the quote in this country. The quote being, uh, Jill, ba Jill Biden, first lady. So Iowa loses to LSU in the Women's National Basketball Championship and there's a lot of talk about it here and other, other places because there's controversy and there's a lot of different layers to that controversy. 
So she speaks and the first lady says, I know we'll have the champions come to the White House. We always do. So we hope LSU will come. But you know, I'm gonna tell Joe, I think Iowa should come too. Because they played such a good game. No, they shouldn't, ma'am. No, they shouldn't. I laugh because we're in like still in the throes of participation trophy paranoia and uh, blowback and my generation thinks every generation is after it is soft because they sign their kid up for baseball, their kid doesn't win a game, their kid gets a trophy that's the same one as the kid who gets every game. And now we have the first lady who's I think trying to say a nice thing and talk about sportsmanship and inclusion, I hope. And she has reached the point where the losing team in the championship game, <laughs> it's so ridiculous, should also come to the White House that esteemed honor put upon athletes in their respective sports who win the championship. We get to go to the White House. She is now saying, you know, they just played so darn hard. I think the losers should get to come to the White House too. I'm going to tell Joe. I like it. I'm going I'm to go the other way on this, guys. The only problem I have with this from the First Lady is that I don't think she goes far enough. I think LSU goes as champions. I think Iowa goes as the losers. I think also, though, uh, South Carolina and Virginia Tech were in the Women's Final Four, and I think they got to go. UConn will be going as the men's champion, but listen, got to take San Diego State. They played hard, right? So they got to go. And then let's throw in FAU, just such a scrappy thing, a scrappy team from a you know, smaller program. Miami's got to go. In fact, first lady, I think if you're taking the, the final four, I think you got to expand it. The Elite Eight should come. And um, you don't want to invite the Elite Eight without inviting the Sweet 16. After that, they all won a couple games, right? They, they had a nice run there. So they played hard. I think the Sweet 16... You know, I think you just invite everybody. You invite every team in the tournament. Um, all the team from the women's tournament. All the team from the men's tournament. You just line them up and they can take dozens and dozens of pictures. I think that's what you do. Even in the men's tournament, you know, Purdue, they lost to a one seed. Or they lost to a 16. They are a one seed, bring them down. They get to go to the White House. Arizona lost to a 15, bring them. They get to go to the White House, bring them all. I think um, also it's not too late because the season hasn't, the new season is still a few months away. I think the Philadelphia Eagles should go to the White House. They lost the Super Bowl, but they played hard, guys. They played really hard. They, they, Jalen Hurts ran for a bunch of touchdowns. There was even an argument he could have been MVP. And there was a tough call at the end that really hurt them. And you know, who really cares what the score was? Who cares who won? I think the Eagles should go. I also think uh, they should invite Steven Spielberg from uh, The Fablemans, who directed that. It didn't win Best Picture, but that, that movie really worked hard. It really did, and a lot of people liked it, and it was very personal for Spielberg. So I think even though he did not win uh, Best Picture this year, I think he should be able to go. Um, we like to have takes on takes here, and we have a segment called Bite Fight in a little bit. I think the takes on takes winner should go to the White House, but also the loser. They 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 taked really hard, and I, I don't see why you stop. I think you just bring everybody. Maybe you can set up some basketball courts. The president, the first lady, have to work really hard just with the college basketball alone before we get into football and you know whoever lost the World Series of Poker this year, and not to mention all the 
Olympic gymnasts and athletes and swimmers who didn't medal. You got to bring them every, bring everybody. My son's baseball team might go to the White House. I don't know if we have what it takes right now. We're one game in and it was a little shaky, but maybe we can go to the White House. It's uh, it's an unbelievable take. Uh, I think you're trying to say something nice. At least I hope that's what's behind it. There's some more sinister motivations that people are alleging that I will not indulge on this program. But I hope she's, you know, she was in attendance, um, Joe Biden. And so she's, you know, they should come too. No, they shouldn't. They lost. You can't bring on. If, imagine the policy. Your life and your family's life is about setting policy. If they, if they were to come, Iowa, then every single loser moving forward would be like, well, where's our invite? And do you honestly think that I would accept that invitation? What were we thinking with that, Doc? <laughs> it's like something Melania would say. Come on, you can be better than that. And also, I'm not going to go deep into the politics of this. I saw that Shannon Sharp said that she, he thinks that this take might cost Biden the White House. I don't think that's going to cost him the White House, but it will come up. It will be weaponized against the sitting president and the sitting president's party because it represents this whole thing about softness and generational, what happened to America and it, everybody wins now and we used to be a winner, you just have to earn it. That will be weaponized, it will be used, it will be part of debates. I don't care that the election is not next week, I don't care, they will use it. It is just too tasty of a soundbite. It appeals to too many people that are annoyed that everybody wins all the time. It's going to come up. So I say, Listen, it may even be one thing that unites us as a country, because even if you are a, a, a staunch Biden supporter, I think you hate this idea too. So can't agree on much else at all. The big important topics, political topics, social topics, economy, every, we can't agree on any of that. However, I would hope that both sides of the aisle could agree, could have a moment to be like, this is the dumbest idea ever. We, we're never having the losing team come to the White House. No. Maybe the losing team should cut down the nets, too. I mean, there's two baskets. Why don't we have one net that goes over the winning team, and then they go, the losing team gets to stay and be like, well, we're going to keep this net from that game that we played really hard but lost. In fact, why even keep score? Who cares? Let's just, just play hard and then shake hands, and it's the championship games. You're both champions just for being there. That's it. You're both champions already. You both go to the White House. We can keep going on this. I have more comparisons that I could make. I don't really care about politics. I'm, I'm not wired that way, at least not in my public platforms. I don't talk about stuff like that. But that's, that's a rough quote, a rough. So is the White House going to issue some sort of retraction? Or are they going to clarify? And is LSU going to go to the White House? I don't even know if they're going to accept. Would you? <laughs> they invited the loser? What? So we're not going. Now it's a whole mess. It's always a mess. But I do think, I think the Eagles should go, the Philadelphia Eagles. They went several of them years ago. Actually, they didn't. Never mind. We're too far down the politics loophole. Um, let's go to something that is a different kind of politics, okay? Back and forth combat in something that we call fight, fight, hit it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great theme, great animation, gets me fired up. I like it. Three sound bites, one after another. We come in. This is not the ones with the numbers. That's takes on takes. This is just three. I decide which is the best one. There will be one champion and two losers. Yes. Not everybody from Bite Fight gets to go to the White House. Just one. First into the ring. Uh, the league meeting, you know, it went down in Arizona. Personal hero of mine, Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Detroit Lions, was asked, Coach, how are the Lions going to improve their run defense? And Coach, Coach got fired up. Go ahead. As you know, we've re-signed basically all of our defensive guys back, okay? And, and I, get, I get that. But we've also... All right, so so with that, man, <clears throat> son, all our guys back. Look, we got a lot of faith in Alex. That's why we want him back, man. He's a quarterback of our defense, all right? You got Barnes, who's got another year under his belt. You got Rodriguez, who's got another year under his belt. You got Hutch, who's got another year under his belt. You got Lynn McNeil, who's got another year under his belt, right? We're getting Charles back. We're getting Romeo back. Um, you know, you got Akuda who's got another year under his belt. Jerry Jacobs got another year under his belt. We're getting Tracy back. Kirby's getting another year under his belt. All right, we bring in Sutton. We bring in CJ. All right, Mosley, man, hopefully he's going to be ready for the season to start, game one. Well, all of a sudden, man, if you don't do anything else defensively, we're going to be better. And we're already working on scheme right now, man. We're AG's back there cooking up all kinds of stuff because you have the flexibility to do some things now because of what we've done in the back end. So um, that alone, we're going to be better. We haven't even hit the draft yet. One, one name that Gets me fired up, Justin. I love it. Thank you. Awesome. Gets me fired up too, Coach. He makes an attempt to start out formal and dignified and someone's trying to talk like someone they're not. And then with Campbell, as soon as he hits that first man, then he's off and running. That's his comfort word. Man, man. We all have him. I definitely have him. He started out trying to be someone he isn't, and then he just said, what am I doing? Man, we got this guy, this guy. He listed the entire defensive roster and basically just said that they're coming back and they have a year under their belt, under their belt. Man, man, got me fired up, man. It doesn't take much, does it, Dan? Imagine what it takes to get Dan Campbell fired up. You know, you have all these coaches sitting around and they're Teflon and they've been through it a million times. You can't get much of a human reaction or genuine insight. You gotta try and you gotta use all your journalistic instincts to try to get in and penetrate the armor. Coach was asked, Hey coach, how are you going to improve your run defense? <laughs> He's off and running. That's 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 not a probing question. Just it's a stock question and that was all it took, man. When you hear man, he's coming. Get ready. Dan Campbell's in. Solid. Let's get the first his first uh, opponent. Interesting. I've never seen these. I'm not seeing these clips at all, including this one. The National Lacrosse League. We're going sweet 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 lax. Let's hear from Saskatchewan Rush goalie. He's the goalie for the Rush of Saskatchewan. Let's hear from him. His name is Alex Bouquet on the field after a win. Go ahead, Alex. Alex, oh my you came into Rogers Arena, faced your former club, and your squad got the W. How nice was it to get the win here tonight? Hey, we followed the game plan and we got the dub. Good on for the boys. Love these guys. How imperative was the penalty kill, especially in the second half? Didn't think of it much. Just, you know, try to stop the ball, you know? I know you're a team guy, so how good are the guys on the back end? Oh, they're f***ing <laughs> pumped. Here we go. What does this win do for you 
confidence-wise? Confidence is pretty high. Another tally on the chart. We'll see ourselves next week. Get ready. Congrats. Enjoy this one. <laughs> Bouquets. I like bouquet. That was really, that was, that was something. I want to shout out to the, uh, the journalist on the field too, who was peppering bouquet and went right through that F-bomb. Didn't even manage to do that thing where they say, you know, Alex, we're on live right now because they don't care. The damage is already done. What's the point? You know, no apologizing to some of our more sensitive viewers. Just right through it. Bouquet's incredible. He reminds me of, of Goldberg from the Mighty Ducks. He, he's, he's a large man. He's got that cool hair. All business, too. All business. He's got the dub. That was awesome. I want to follow his career. The Saskatchewan Rush. Their goalie, Alex Bouquet. He used to be Chris Hogan for me, but now I think he is my favorite Sweet Locks player. And he's a goalie. Massive gentleman, it looks like, too. Plus the pads. Great quote, too. I think that was a 30-second interview that had 11 questions. That's what it felt like. Shout out to that young lady whose name I do not know, but she's covering the Saskatchewan Rush and it's superstar Alex Bouquet. So we got two ringers, Campbell and Bouquet, third entrant to Bite Fight. Only one winner, remember. Only one in this circle. That's changing rapidly in this country, but only one. And it will be, aha, Dan Hurley, head coach, UConn, men's national championship team last night. Uh, they won. They won it all. They were clearly the best team in the tournament, certainly in the last few games in the Final Four. But here was back from January 2020, over three years ago. He just won it last night. But three years ago, Dan Hurley, the head coach of UConn men's basketball, said this after a loss to Villanova. You know, people better get us now. That's all. You better get us now. Because it, it's coming. That's pretty cool. So he loses to Villanova 2020. It feels like he's down. That program has been so up and down. They win national championships sometimes. They don't even make the tournament other times. Coaching changes everything. And when you lose like that and you say, yeah, well, you better get us now because it's coming. You're like, yeah, right. Sure you are, Hurley. I'm sure you are. He just won the national championship just uh, under three years later. That's a really cool quote. And he was right. Saying they better get us now is something like I feel like Clint Eastwood would say, or Charles Bronson, or Jason Statham, or some action star who's down and he's going to have a training montage and come back and take revenge on all his enemies. Well, Dan Hurley just did it for real. He's the action star. That was really cool. Short, sweet, very different from the other ones. So I'm left with a decision. You know what? Maybe I just have all of them win. They both played so hard. They should just all win. They should all win by fight. No, I'm not going to do that. I don't think it's Dan Campbell because uh, we, Dan Campbell has shown us his, his punching power before and on the Dan Campbell scale, that was a five, five for him. I love Bouquet. I really respect Hurley calling his shot like that. But listen, the heart wants what the heart wants and the heart wants Alex Bouquet, the goalie for Saskatchewan Rush. He is the champion. Alex Bouquet, that's B-U-Q-U-E wins bite fight. Alex Bouquet, cut down the nets. You're coming to the White House by yourself. Nobody will join you. Alex Bouquet, imagine if we can find another clip moving forward of Alex Bouquet from the Saskatchewan Rush. I want it. I want him to be on the show. I like that guy. I like the cut of his jib. I like the way he does the media. And again, shout out to the woman doing the interview. She was fantastic. Certainly a part of that tag team. They're all going to the White House. That's it. Guys, let's finish. We're going to the dartboard. Skycam, we're wrapping up the show on Tuesday. 
I will throw a dart. In this case, it's got the uh, UK flag, the Union Jack right there. Whatever number it hits, there'll be a corresponding topic that I will ad-lib on. Nope, that's not a number. That is drywall. Hi, ball one. Let's see. Do this properly and try to throw a strike. Yep, that is a six. It's a triple six, but we're not going to count it as 18. We will count it as six. We, we ignore the rings here in the dart throwing time. Topic number six, how would you fare in Survivor? I assume you're talking about the reality competition series debuted in uh, 2000, Richard Hatch. I was very much into season two. That was uh, the Colby season. He took second place from it. Survivor Outback was the first one I watched. I've probably banked five or six seasons of Survivor. I'm a big Boston Rob fan. I think he is in the reality show competition Hall of Fame. He's a first ballot guy. The answer to the question, how would I fare in Survivor? Not well. Not well because um, I could help build the, the shelter and I think I would certainly hold my own in several of the immunity challenges and the reward challenges. I'm not good at conniving. Probably to my detriment and to the detriment of my career. I'm not good at making secret plans. I'm not good at office politics. I don't BCC emails. I don't do things that are sneaky like that. At least I try not to, and if I do, it doesn't come naturally and I feel uncomfortable. That's how you do it. First time, your first night here at the camp, you go and you say, we're gonna go get water, me and Trish or whatever. And then while you're walking with Trish, cause you've sized Trish up as a, as a strong competitor, you say, hey Trish, why don't we form an alliance right now? And she's like, great, I'll stick with you. And then you and Trish just try to ride that thing and you bring in one other person who is just a, a dummy who you're gonna knife them the second you get a chance and vote them out. I'm bad at that. I, I wouldn't, I, unless someone approached me and was a mastermind and I could ride with them and then win at the very end, I don't think I'd do well in Survivor. I'm much more of an amazing race guy. So I love Survivor, unbelievable formula. I love Probst, wears a shirt with a lot of pockets. And uh, I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'm not, you, you, to be okay at that game, you gotta be good with a lot, a lot of food, you gotta be good in the competitions, and you gotta be not insufferable to hang around. But to be great at that game, you gotta slit throats, man. I just can't do it. But I can be here on the Peloton talking to you guys in front of a dartboard. Thank you, love you, miss you, subscribe, share, tweet, post, all that stuff. Exit through the garage, close the door on your way out. See you tomorrow, guys.